Good morning again. I am Kong, Associate Pastor, and I'm so glad that you could be with us today as we dive into our series of Freedom from Sin. Um, give you a quick update. Pastor Greg's on sabbatical, and so if you, if you missed his, um, uh, his, his uh, announcement last week, he's on sabbatical. He's taking some time off. Uh, during COVID, when he was planning basically everything, it really took a toll on him. And so we as the ministry team agreed to relieve some of his responsibilities for the month of April. And so he's taking some time off to rest up. And then just this past Monday, we as a ministry team also decided to relieve Pang Fu from her responsibilities to enjoy um, to enjoy uh, sabbatical with Greg. And so Pang Fu is not really on sabbatical. She's just enjoying sabbatical with Greg. And so they... Well, they won't be with us for the next month, and so we'll see them back in May. But we're really excited to see what God has in store for them in terms of what River Life will look like uh, and beyond. And so, um, so if you're looking for those two, they're not here, but we're here. And so let us know if there's anything we can help with. So like I mentioned, we're in our series called Freedom from Sin. Um, this idea of what does it look like to be free from sin? And today we're going to be talking about something really important of being free from sin's punishment. Before we begin... Um, like we had mentioned earlier, like I had mentioned earlier, just the joy of knowing that in a couple months here, we're going to be planning to launch a second campus out in Brooklyn Park. And earlier before service started, Micah came up to me, and Mike's like, when is this going to happen? I'm so excited for you. And I'm like, thanks, Mike. You know, like it's going to happen September 2021. That's, sorry, it is 2021. I thought it was 2020 for a second. <laughs> Woo. All right, bring it back. So it's going to happen fall 2021, September 2021. This year is 2021. It's not 2020. I don't know what happened. But yes, we're shooting for September 2021 to launch a second campus, and I'm excited as well. But if I can be honest with you, there was a time where I wasn't very excited about the second campus at all. I was really nervous. I was really scared for it. What happened was planting a church was never anything in my, in my mind. I went to school for youth ministry, and I thought that I was going to do ministry youth work for the rest of my life. I was like, you know, I, I hope that I end up retiring, you know, I'm gray, I'm old, I'm running around with teenagers, or I'm with teenagers until I get done doing ministry, or when God takes me away to heaven. And so I was hoping, I was thinking that I was going to do youth ministry until I stopped doing ministry, until I stopped moving around. And so about a year or two ago, we had this great opportunity to look into opening a second campus out in River Life. And this has always been in the plan of River Life, from, from the very conception before River Life St. Paul even existed. It had always been on Greg and Pankfo's heart to launch a second campus. And so when I joined the River Life team, I was super excited about this. I didn't think it was going to be me because, again, church planting had never been anything on my, on my uh, radar. But our team was like, Kong, I think you can be the campus pastor for our second campus. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't think this is what, what I'm up for. So in our team affirming us and confirming us, thinking that, you know, and, 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 and encouraging us, of like, Kong, I think we can do this. Last summer, Pang and I were invited to something called Church Planters Assessment, where a dozen church leaders all over the country um, came to assess church planting individuals and couples to see if this would be a good idea. We spent an entire week with them, and they, were, they would poke and prod at us, trying to figure out our strengths and our growth areas. And 
The first day was super intense. We were with them for at least 12 hours. We were there from 8 in the morning till about 8 at night. And again, it was super intense. They had us do a whole bunch of different things. After we got done with that first day, we got in the car and I told Peng, I was like, I, I don't know if I should come back the second day. I don't think I'm made for this. So much happened that I felt inadequate. I felt like I wasn't the right person for this opportunity. I was like, let's not show up, you know, jokingly. Second day we showed up for the, for, for the, for the assessment week, for the church plans assessment. And at breakfast, two assessors sat down with us. One of the assessors' name, his name's Clint, he asked me something about leadership, asked me about, you know, people following my leadership. And suddenly that wave of feeling inadequate felt like a tsunami. And I was just pounded, feeling inadequate. And I was just like, I don't know how to answer this question. And I was trying to hold back, but tears started rolling down my eyes, and I started crying. I was like, I'm not fit to do this. Who are you kidding? Me? Are you serious? And so in muttering and stuttering and trying to talk while I was crying, which isn't a really beautiful thing, Clint looks at me. And he shares with me, Kong, I've got a binder about this big of all of the, assess, of all the couples who are here for assessment. There's, there were five couples with us that week. And he's like, out of that huge binder, there's like this chunk of your references of people who believe that you are more than capable of doing this. I had to submit like seven different references, you know, work references, church references, personal references. There was a ton of them. And Clint looks at me, he's like, I think you're more than adequate. You're more than capable of doing this. Kong, the only person that doesn't believe that you can do this is yourself. And at that moment, my entire trajectory of doing youth ministries for the rest of my life and the rest of what 5, 10, 15 years would look like completely shifted. And once for the longest time I could remember all the doubts, all the insecurities, all the shortcomings all the lies, all the biases, all the comparisons that I had made to other people, specifically friends and colleagues who, who are in ministry, who've done awesome things, for a second they all were muted. And for a second I could hear God's Holy Spirit say to me who I was. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me that, that, that God loved me I heard the Holy Spirit call me by name. The Holy Spirit was very gentle. And the Holy Spirit was like, Calm, this is an opportunity I'm giving you. It really gave me a different perspective of what it feels like when, when we're attuned to the Holy Spirit. And I'm wondering as I share this story, can you relate to any of it? Can you relate to the sense of feeling like you're not quite who you are or you think this but then when you get the honest perspective of somebody else you're like I don't see any of that in you you're actually this you think you're something but you're really 
really not. Similarly, in relation to this series, I think sin does that to us too. I believe the one roadblock or a roadblock that could hold us back from realizing that we are free from sin is not knowing what God thinks of us, what God thinks of our sin. So I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you a literal minute. And take a, take a minute here to think about how God views you and your sins. minutes up. Man, I felt like the longest minute for me. I don't know about you. But hold whatever you're thinking. And as we explore what the Bible says for us this morning, I want you to consider what came up for you in that minute and what the Bible says. Another question I want to throw out is this. How do you think God views you? Well, I already asked that one, but do you think believing in Jesus changes how God sees you and your sins? Last week, we, we, we talked about how when we believe in Jesus, that sets us on a trajectory where we are regenerated. We are born again. We are made spiritually alive so that we no longer have to choose only sin, but we have the option to choose otherwise, to choose holiness. And so today, we're going to dive into a concept where I believe it can set us free from whatever keeps us believing that we are free from sin. So let's dive into the Bible and see what the Bible says. Now, the best, passages, the best passage to understand this is from Romans chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verses 23 through 28. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And so if you've got your Bible with you, whether it's your physical copy, on your app, um, or you know, if you don't have it either and you want to follow along, it's going to be on screen. And so let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 28 together. This is what it says. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For, excuse me. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then? 
that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. This letter that Paul writes is a letter to the church in Rome. And it was one of Paul's most significant letters explaining to the church the essential understanding of how God saves all people from sin. The the letter of Romans is believed to be the fullest explanation of how we are impacted by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And today we get to explore what it means to experience freedom from sin from this passage and the solution to be free from sin's punishment. So there's two parts that I want us to understand from this passage. The first part's this. In verse 23, like we mentioned last week, like I mentioned today, like the the passage mentions, Paul states that the problem with humanity and God is that we we are all in sin, that we miss God's standard. Everyone does sin and evil, and this causes everyone, again, to miss God's standard. Because humanity falls short of God's standard, because they violate God's standard by doing whatever they want, the result is there's a penalty. Part of God's being, part of God's holiness is that he has standard. And so when people, um, when we don't live up to that standard, there's a penalty, which is death and eternal punishment. And that eternal punishment is often referred to as hell or being separated from God forever. Now, this is also a dilemma itself because God wants to be in relationship with us. And so God's holy, we're not. God has a standard and we don't meet that standard. And it could be as simple as that where God's like, okay, you can't meet my standard and a relationship, be gone. God's holiness, God's standard, and God's love creates this dilemma where God has to find a solution to make all those things work. And so God responds to that dilemma by offering his grace. And grace, just a fancy word that means that means God's complete undeserving, loving commitment to us. So God's undeserving, loving commitment to us, what God does is that he finds a solution by taking away our sin so that we can be in relationship with God. Now we've talked about how God did this with previous, uh, previous people where God, where the priest would take sins of the people and transfer it to the animals. This time, What God does is that he does it through Jesus. So Jesus takes all of our sins, gives it to God, takes God's holiness, God's right standing with, Jesus' right standing with God. Jesus has never missed God's mark. He trades that with us. So Jesus gets our sin. We get Jesus' holiness. And that makes it right for us. Jesus then becomes a sacrifice on behalf of all of us and all the evil and experience and experiences the penalty for us, which is death. Now I'll explain a little bit of how that works in the second part. Well, actually, the second part's a little different, but let me explain how that works in a little bit. So in a sense, when we, well, take that back. We will explain that second part. So the second part is this is that we have to understand that it was God's plan to save us. And then the second part is that, when, is that we need to believe that in order to be free from our sin. When we believe, God declares us free from sin's punishment. 
Let me say that again. In the Bible, and in here it says, when we believe, God declares us free from sin's punishment. Now, if you're looking at other translations, it might say God justifies us from sin's punishment. Justify is a very, is a very theological word that means the same thing as God declaring us free from sin's punishment. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in, in, in the courtroom. But if you're convicted of a criminal and you, sh- you have to go to court for, your, for your whatever crime you committed, you go through the entire process. And at the very end, if the judge sees that you're innocent, you're innocent. Doesn't matter what it is. If this judge says you are innocent, you are innocent. Doesn't matter if someone has an opinion on you. Doesn't matter if someone has um, other thoughts about who you are. There might be consequences of the crime that you committed. But when the judge says you are innocent, you are innocent. You are free from any consequence, any penalty that that crime holds. In the same way, when God declares us free from sin, God says you are innocent. You will never have to experience that punishment ever. You see, when we express our belief in Jesus, we express our inability to do this ourselves, and we trust in God's plan. When we believe in Jesus, we rely on him. because We become dependent on him. Last week I shared that this idea of having belief in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, is this idea of being literally stuck with Jesus, like adhesive, like tape. Take two strips of duct tape, stick them to each other. It's pretty hard to pull them apart. Similarly, faith and belief is like that image that we are stuck to Jesus. Another thing, is this, another thing is this, too. When humans entered sin, it was because they were disobedient to God. And so however hard we try, there will always be disobedience in us. And so whatever we try to do will never meet God's standard. We have to rely on God. We have to place our entire dependence on God to trust that he saves us. Now, this idea of sticking to each other, there's a theologian named Millard Erickson, and he explains it like this. When we believe in Jesus, we become united with Jesus, and any spiritual uh, assets or spiritual liabilities are merged. He's using some financial language. And so, you you know, any money that we have, any money in our checking savings account we have, any liabilities like debt, you know, school debt, car debt, whatever it may be, they're merged. And so, for example, Penny and I, when we got married, my school loans became her school loans, her school loans became my school loans. You know, the, the place that we live in, we have to find ways to come up with money together to live in that place. The car that we drive, we have to come up with money to pay for our car payments. And so they're merged. And so when God looks at the believer, when God looks at us who believe in Jesus, God sees us together with Christ. 
So our belief in Jesus is like marriage. So when two people married, again, they merge their assets and their liabilities with their property, the things that they own, with the things they own held together, the assets of one or both of them can wipe out the liabilities of others, leaving, the po- leaving them with a positive net balance. Now, of course, we all have debt, and so sometimes that's not the reality. Like for Peng and I, I bring in my debt, she brings in her debt. Our relationship is positive, but, you know, financially, you know, it's not quite there yet. We're hoping to be debt-free soon, but not there yet. This illustration is, is used to kind of depict what it looks like with Jesus. But with Jesus, he has all the assets. We carry all the liabilities. And when we believe, with him, believe in him, all of those liabilities are gone. And all those assets we get to experience. Now, this is all necessary because it reveals to us the seriousness of God's holiness. That in order to understand God's holiness and what it meant for us to experience freedom from sin, it's absolutely important to understand that God cannot ignore sin and evil. As I wrestled through this sermon, as I've wrestled through my faith over the years, there's a part of me that's like, can't God just forgive and forget? Can't God just be like, oh, that's all right, you know. Like, I'll let that go. It'll be a pardon. It's fine. Don't worry about it. thing is, God can't do that. Because if God pardons it, if God overlooks it, if God just kind of sweeps it under the rug, it then brings his character into question. And so in order for us to experience freedom from sin's punishment, Jesus has to be a sacrifice, and we have to believe in it. Lastly, in verse 28, this is what it says. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Paul then summarizes that entire passage and informs us that, again, we are made right with God through our faith nothing else. Now, if I could summarize this entire message into one sentence, it'd be this. God declares us free when we declare Jesus. God declares us free when we declare Jesus. It takes our belief in Jesus to be free in God. And we've talked a lot about our part in believing. Now I want to hear, I want you to hear God's part. And God's part is this. God's part is that when you believe in Jesus, he declares you free. He declares me free. He declares all of us free when we believe. This isn't just a temporary freedom, but complete, total freedom from sin's punishment. Whether it's past sins that we've struggled with, whether it's current sins that we're struggling with, whether it's 
future sins that we will be struggling with. God declares us free from all those things. And God declares us free when Jesus, when we declare Jesus, this is how God sees you when you believe in Jesus. This is what God declares about you when you believe in Jesus. I think so often we talk so much about believers, what do we need to do, what do we need to do, what do we need to do, and sometimes we overlook at what God does. Church, God declares us free when we declare Jesus. So what does this mean for us on a day-to-day basis? If there's any part of you that's working harder to be a better person, to be a better Christian, to be a better believer, you can stop. None of our works makes a difference. None of our ideas, none of our desires, even with the best of intentions, none of it makes it any better. Instead, it's Jesus who makes it better. Now, you might be a prisoner like me in my, in, you know, in, in earlier on when I talked about how I dealt with my insecurities and, and my shortcomings and, and the, the, you know, the biases that were incorrect. You might be dealing with your own insecurities and think that God hasn't forgiven you. I'm going to encourage you, stop dwelling on that. Stop working hard to be a better person, a better Christian. And again, just start believing. A belief where you're literally relying and depending and stuck on Jesus. Those insecurities may seem harmless, but from my experience, those are moments where the devil can take those insecurities, those little things that we think don't matter, and trick you and trick you into believing that you're not good enough, that you're not good enough for God. So I encourage you, as I paused for a second over last summer and heard God's voice in all this, I'm going to ask you again, what do you hear God saying to you now? And what did you hear God say to you earlier? This is what, these are some of the things that God says about us. John chapter 15, Jesus calls us friend. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls us by our name. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells us he's with us to the very end of the age. John chapter 6, Jesus tells us that we're accepted. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that we will experience his peace. Romans chapter 8, the same letter that we're in today, Paul reminds us that there's no more condemnation, there's no more punishment than those who believe in Jesus. Now take what you heard earlier, or take what you've been hearing all your life, the uncertainties that you have about how God feels about you, how God sees you, what God declares about you, And of these six things, if you don't hear one or any of these things, I'm going to encourage you to find ways 
to quiet down those other voices that are speaking to you in your head, in your heart, that stop you from hearing the things that God wants us to hear, that Jesus calls us. You see, we could hear these things from the Bible. And all those six things that I referenced to were references to, to Scripture. So are we listening to him when we're in the Bible? Are we listening to him in our prayers? What are we hearing from God when we talk to God in our prayers? If you are a believer in Christ, stop living in that guilty verdict that is not yours anymore. Listen to how God calls you and live in the freedom that he has given you. God sees us right when we believe in Jesus. God declares us right when we declare Jesus. And so this morning, if you believe in Jesus, know that you are free from sin's punishment. Let me pray for us. God, so often, even in moments where we don't try, we focus so much on ourselves. How can I be a better person? How can I be a better Christian? What can I do to make things right with God? And we experience these cyclical experiences of trying to do things to make things better when you tell us to believe. God, when Jesus went on that cross, you planned it all along that he would take our sins and exchange, we would receive God's holiness. And so whatever it is that we may believe about ourselves and our, in, our, in, in light of our relationship with you, may we be reminded that when we believe in Jesus, you declare us to be free. Holy Spirit, would you drown out the voices that tell us lies, tells us we're not good enough, we're not pretty enough, or we're not handsome enough, we're not tall enough, we're too short, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough. Holy Spirit, may you replace all those things, and may we hear God's voice reminding us that we are accepted, that you are with us, that we are your friends and you are our friend, and that we are no longer condemned by our sin, but we are free. Thank you, Jesus, for taking up our sins and for loving us. And we pray and lift this all up in your name, Lord. Amen.